Welcome to the Chase Podcast. Dr. Ron Charles is a renowned archaeologist, author, historian, speaker, missionary, and is known as the Christian Indiana Jones. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and information about this global ministry. Hello, I'm Dr. Ron Charles. Welcome today to the program. And uh, today we're going to be talking about um, a interesting subject. Uh, am I my brother's keeper? Now, the original concept of that came uh, right at the very beginning of the human race as we know it now. Uh, you know, Cain and Abel, uh, that story was not necessarily recorded because they were the uh, first children. Of, uh, of Eve and of Adam and Eve, but it's primarily uh, recorded because it's the first murder. We don't know how many children were born before then, but uh, we do know that Cain was, was born first and then Abel. And uh, there was a conflict when uh, they brought sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, Cain brought from the fruit of the ground, Abel brought from the, uh, the blood of, of his herd uh, that he was keeping, the sheep, sheep herd. So there was a conflict with there, and that conflict uh, uh, expanded until uh, Cain was, um, uh, uh, was so furious that he wanted to get rid of the conflict in his life, which he felt was able. So let's look at uh, Genesis, the fourth chapter, and let's read, uh, begin number, uh, verse number eight. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in a field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he says, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? God said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And thou art cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. You know, the blood was never intended to be soaked up by the cursed earth. By this time, the earth was cursed. Adam had fallen. Eve had, uh, had led the way. And uh, God had cursed the ground for Adam's sake, saying that uh, from now on, your harvest will come from the sweat of your brow and from pain and from suffering. And so the blood which belonged to God was never intended to be uh, consumed by the cursed earth. Cain is the one who accomplished that through the murder that was done through wrath, um, being mad at God and taking that out on Abel. You know, <clears throat> back in the seventh century everyone thought it was a great great miracle when pope uh, gregory the great walked out into the by that time ruins of the Colosseum in rome and reached down and picked up a handful of the dirt and he squeezed it and blood came out and soaked his arm and so they thought that was a great miracle but in reality it's just the fact that the earth is never, ever, never satisfied. It always wants more. It drinks hundreds, thousands, millions of liters of, of blood. Uh, millions and millions and millions are soaked up during times of war. But you know, 
at the end of that war, it still wants more. It still demands the blood of men. I remember when we were uh, excavating the Roman amphitheater in Duras, Albania. And in that uh, arena, it was built by the Romans in the first and second century and used by the Romans first and second century for the blood games, that uh, I was shocked because we put a probe down in the, the soil of the, uh, of the main arena. And that uh, probe uh, indicated that there was well over three feet deep of blood-soaked soil. Uh, the soil had uh, blood crystals that went that deep for the millions of gallons of blood of human beings as well as animals that were soaked up uh, in that arena. And it's, uh, and it's, uh, and it all dates back to this point right here that Cain took the life of Abel and the cursed earth began to soak up and to thrive on and to uh, have a, a non-satisfying thirst for the blood of mankind and for the blood of God's creation. And it's still the case today. You know, there's wars going on throughout the world. Here in America, our news media doesn't concentrate much on anything that America is not directly involved with. And I understand their point of view for that. But, you know, right now, right now at this very moment, there are 38 wars, revolutions and uprisings going on just in the continent of Africa. That doesn't include the Middle East. It doesn't include the uh, insurrections that are seem to always be going on in South America. It doesn't include the horrors that are going on in the Far East. Uh, none of that. Just, just in Africa you have this. But we don't get a single word about it uh, in the American news media unless America is directly involved one way or the other. But just in that continent of Africa, we are having now hundreds of thousands of gallons of blood of the innocent people, well, innocent and non-innocent alike, but of God's creation being soaked into this ground that was never intended uh, by God's creation to consume the blood of mankind. But it's now it does. His thirst is non-quenching. It demands more and more and more. And as a result, our wars continue, our killings continue, the murders continue. And the one thing that Cain asked God was, am I my brother's keeper? The question still radiates with us today. Mankind is still in a world that demands uh, its innocent blood being drank by this cursed earth. It demands more and more of it, more and more life uh, being taken from human beings. And the fact still remains that are we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are we the keepers of those that are out there? 
Are we the keepers of our brothers, our family? Are we the keepers of our brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we the keeper of the world? And I think, in my opinion, and this is strictly my opinion, and it's how we operate through the Cubit Foundation. Cubit Foundation is our uh, 501c3 organization that we have ministry throughout the world. My uh, wife and I, uh, we concentrate more upon the uh, Islamic Middle East. My son concentrates more in South America. And my wife and I also concentrate our efforts even in Europe. And so we have ministry going on all over the world. And, um, and so in our opinion, we feel that God has given us a unique calling to answer the question and saying, yes, we are our brother's keeper, not only brothers and sisters in Christ, but human brothers and sisters, those that are connected with bloodline. And whether we want to admit it or not, uh, the same blood flows through our veins as flows through people throughout, throughout the world. You only have a certain types of blood. You only have A positive, A negative. B positive, B negative, O positive, O negative, A, B, a positive, A, B negative. Uh, and so, you know, th th that's, that's the only thing you have. All of these types of blood are typical throughout the world. And so they are our brothers and our sisters. And to answer the question that Cain, that Cain presented to God, we feel in the Cubit Foundation that it is our responsibility to meet the needs of those that are out there. A number of years ago, when my wife and I were in Cairo, Egypt, and we've been in Egypt now for 31 years, we're going into our 31st year right now, uh, ministering in, uh, in Egypt to the uh, Islamic people uh, and to the persecuted believers in the Middle East. And uh, five, for five years before that, we were in Albania when Albania was still under uh, the realm of uh, communism for much of that time. But uh, we've been there, we've been ministering, and we feel very strongly about the fact that we are indeed our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper. And as we were studying one morning more than 25 years ago, uh, we were looking at the book of James. My wife was reading, we got to James 1.27, when James was talking about true religion. What, what is true religion? Well, James says it's to care for the fatherless, the orphans, and to care for the widows, and to keep yourself pure from the world. And, I, and when my wife read that, I said, wait, stop. Go back and read it again. And I had her go back and read it five times. And I noticed something. And when James was talking about true religion, he said absolutely nothing about the religious establishment of the day. He mentioned nothing about Judaism, nothing about the Roman religions, nothing about the brand new early church uh, belief in Christ that was going on at the, at the time. He didn't mention anything about a religious community. He didn't mention anything about these great massive cathedrals that are being built, especially in Europe. 
didn't say anything about denominations, had nothing to say about Pentecostals, Baptists, Church of Christ, had nothing to say about Presbyterians or Methodists or Catholics. What James says was true religion, was not a ministerial society. It was not the local ministry uh, pastor's group of your community, of your town. James says this very simply, true religion is to care for the widows, to care for the orphans, and to keep yourself pure. I had my wife read it again three more times, and I, again, I noticed something. First of all, James says absolutely nothing about caring for Christian widows. He said nothing about caring for Jewish widows. He said nothing about caring for Roman widows or Persian widows or Syrian widows or Greek widows. Nothing. He just says widows. And I says, okay, that's it. We are to dedicate the rest of our lives to caring for widows. We don't care for them if they accept Jesus. We care for them whether they accept Jesus or not. We care for them. But what we have noticed in this Islamic world, especially in Egypt, when we first started doing this, Cairo, Egypt had two and a half million, two and a half million widows living under bridges, living next to sewage ditches or under stairwells someplace. No family. They just abandoned. And we set out to give those widows food every single month. We call it a bag of hope. A canvas bag about one meter tall. We fill it full of rice and beans and macaroni and that type of thing. And one, uh, one bag of hope will feed a widow and four children for an entire month. Each widow that we sponsor gets one of these a month. We deliver these things every day, but, but each widow gets one a month. And uh, the number has expanded now to well over a thousand widows per month and uh, the same number of, of children, of, of, of orphans, that we give this bag of hope to. But amazing thing about it, we always give this bag of hope in the name of Jesus, that is a sponsor by Jesus Christ. And to the Arabic world, uh, Issa uh, is what uh, Jesus is known as, is Issa. So we give this bag of hope in the name of Issa. And inevitably, these widows want to thank Issa. And they believe that Jesus was a great prophet. They believe he's in heaven now. And you can actually pray to him if you choose to. And, um, and then, of course, they believe that then, uh, then Jesus will give the message to Muhammad. Muhammad will give the message to Allah. But, uh, but even they don't feel like they're qualified to pray to Jesus because they're widows. They're considered the cursed of the earth. And so they will ask us, please, please, please tell Isa, uh, thank you for the food. And we tell them, says, okay, yeah, we, we, we can do that. Yeah, and we, we have no problems doing that for on your behalf. But you know, you can tell him yourself. I, 
I can't. How, 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 can, how can I tell them? And then we explain to them how that they can have Jesus come into the heart. They can have Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, living with them at all times. And although the Bag of Hope was never intended to be an evangelism tool, it's turned out to be that. Because many, many, many of these widows that we feel like it is our responsibility. We are our sister's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. That is our responsibility. And accepting that, then those folks have in turn accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. Now, many times their condition doesn't change other than the fact that they now have plenty of food that they want, plenty of food that they need. And we also uh, buy them clothing. We buy them blankets every year for, uh, for the wintertime. We also buy shoes for the children, school supplies for them, various other things. But unfortunately, what the government does is that these women as a whole, doing various other odd jobs that they can do around the city, they usually get about $5 a month. But the government takes $1 of that $5 uh, for a fee for allowing the widows to live under their bridge or to live next to their sewage ditch. So now the widows are left with about $4 to live on per month. Well, we feed them, we, we give them their food, and they can spend their money on other things that they need for the support of themselves. Uh, but we also, on top of that, feed, yeah, give them uh, also the clothing, especially the children, uh, clothing, shoes, and that type of thing that helps them. And most recently, uh, just a couple of years ago, we had the opportunity to buy a farm in uh, the Delta up in Egypt. Uh, the agriculture region, the agriculture area of, uh, uh, of Egypt, uh, what, what the, the Bible named Goshan, or Goshad, is a very fertile area of the Delta region. We bought a farm up there. Um, the last number of years, that six acres of land uh, produced uh, things like uh, onions and garlic and broccoli and okra and corn and grapes and that type of thing uh, at a rate of about one ton of produce per acre, which uh, to Egypt, that's, that's pretty good. That's a good, that's a good harvest. Uh, but purchasing this a couple of years ago, our people uh, there in Egypt, our workers uh, begin to work the land. They work it by hand. Okay, not uh, just with a shovel, not with any uh, mechanical means, but uh, just working it by hand, God performed an absolute miracle because we dedicated this six acres to the Lord. We dedicated it to our widows that 100% of what comes out of that harvest goes to our widows. And once they have been exhausted with the produce they can't handle anymore, then we sell the produce. And uh, every penny from that sale goes to the widows to buy them blankets and, and uh, shoes and, and that, that type of thing. So it all goes to the widows. Front page headlines of the local uh, newspaper in Cairo claimed that it is God's widow's farm and had a whole page article about how 
God is uh, through this farm is helping the widows uh, in the city. And right now, I, I am pleased to say that as of just last month, we now topped seven tons, not one ton like it was the last number of now last 15 years, but now seven tons per acre. And God just keeps giving, keeps giving, and keeps giving. And so, yes, we are our brother's keeper. It is our responsibility. James himself could have said any number of things. He could have said, uh, he, he could have elaborated upon Judaism. He could have went into great detail about what true religion is, uh, is about the true believers in Jesus, but he did not. James, the brother of Jesus, the natural brother of Jesus, the brother who was born in Egypt when Jesus and Mary and Joseph fled uh, Herod the Great and fled to Egypt and lived there for the first number of years of Jesus' life. James was born down there as the second oldest next to Jesus. He could have capitalized on many, many, many things, but he did not. He says this is true religion, to care, because you are indeed, he didn't say this, but this is what we read between the lines, you are indeed your brother's and sister's keeper. It is your responsibility. We continue to have this responsibility not only in Egypt and not only in the Middle East, but my son is our director of our South America and Central America operations. He gives food to the widows and the orphans. In fact, we have orphanages. I have a two in Mexico, we have a, uh, one in Colombia, used to have one in Venezuela, but that was shut down, and so we had to evacuate the children into Colombia. And uh, in various support of, of widows that we have, and uh, we have ministry going on in, in Peru, and in Ecuador, and Colombia, Nicaragua, Panama, uh, uh, Honduras, uh, Costa Rica, Mexico, uh, Guatemala, and it's, uh, it's amazing how when you dedicate yourself to doing what the Word of God says to do, then God blesses abundantly over and beyond anything you can possibly ever imagine. My son has built 56 churches in Mexico alone, another 50 in uh, Honduras and Nicaragua, another 20 or so in Peru and in Colombia and Ecuador, plus hospitals. He built the first three hospitals that was on the Amazon, in the Amazon basin, right on the banks of the Amazon River. Built churches there, schools there. And having the opportunity to preach to the uh, gorillas in the jungle, the uh, the uh, rebels up in the mountains of Colombia, the cartels that are uh, that are harvesting the uh, coca leaves through slave labor. 
we've had the opportunity not only to minister to them, but many of those leaders, actually, those rebel leaders have accepted Jesus Christ after my son's ministry and have accepted Jesus as their savior, not because it's mandatory to get food, but because they feel the convicting power of Jesus Christ. And they see that my son is going to help them, going to do whatever is needed to help them, irrespective of whether they accept Jesus or not. He's there to help. He's there to meet the needs of the brothers and sisters of the brotherhood of mankind. And in so doing, they see Jesus in him and they want what he has. He had the opportunity to bring water to a village uh, up in the mountains of Colombia that uh, they had never heard of Jesus Christ. They had no idea who Jesus Christ was. They didn't have fresh water. They had to carry water by hand all the way up to, from a mountain stream uh, that was six hours away. They had to go there, get the water, bring it back to the, to the village day in and day out every single day. And my son uh, went to that village. He'd never seen a white man before in their life. Didn't know it, they even existed. But he brought the water from the top of the mountain, piped it down into the village. And those people now have fresh water for the first time. They were pagans. They believed in the gods of the forest. They believed in the gods of the mountains. But when my son introduced them to Jesus, and saying, this same Jesus lives here. And he is the one who lives here who instructed me to help you. They accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior. The chief of the village accepted Christ. And when he did, the entire village did. Now, Brad, my son didn't have to do that, but he felt the same conviction that we have felt for now for going on uh, four decades that we are indeed our brothers and sisters keeper. And we must do what we must do. And we must do and provide for those who come in contact with us on a daily basis and where God has sent us. And we continue to do so today. And the same goes for you. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, it's especially for you. But even if you have not accepted Jesus, the responsibility of the world is still on our shoulders because we have, and those who have need to share with those who have not. But especially if you are a believer, you've accepted Jesus, then absolutely we are our brother's keeper. The earth, this cursed earth, still demands the blood of the innocents. It demands the blood of those killed in war, in murder, disease, abortion. It still demands that blood so that it can consume it. It is open its mouth wide as Jesus, as, as God said to Cain, open his mouth wide to receive the blood of mankind that shed. And it still demands it today. And as long as it demands it, then it is our responsibility to fight against that 
and claim that person for Jesus Christ and to help them to the best of our ability to meet the needs that they have in their lives, to meet the needs with clothing, with food, medical help, provision, with really expecting nothing in return. I mean, it's easy to meet the needs of someone that's paying you for your products, paying you for your medical supplies, or, or paying you to feed their village. That's easy to do. But to provide that help to those folks that have nothing, and that you expect nothing in return, that's where the reward comes in because God makes sure that you get your reward. For us, we are dependent upon contributions. We're dependent upon other people to, to help pave the way for us as we deliver this food and this uh, bags of hope and these articles to, uh, to women throughout the world. We are delivering this in South America and Central America, uh, throughout the Middle East, in uh, India and in Nepal and Bangladesh and various uh, locations that we, uh, that we give this food and this bags of hope. But God is always, always, always on the throne and He always gives back abundantly if we do what we are commissioned to do. Care for the widows, care for the orphans, keep ourselves pure from the world. And God will indeed give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The Chase with Dr. Ron Charles is sponsored by supporters of the Cubit Foundation. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books, and discover how you can support this global ministry.